Uh, before we get started, I want to tell you that you might want to just hold on to your britches because it's going to be a fun night. Amen. We're still talking about prayer. We're still going to keep talking about prayer while we're having prayer meeting. Amen. Uh, it's important for us to understand a few things about prayer. So before we get started, I want to go ahead and pray. Father God, I just thank you and praise you, Lord, that you have chosen this season of prayer, Lord. And as a church, as we continue steadfastly praying, Lord, and seeking you, I pray, God, that you would anoint our eyes and our ears and our hearts, Lord, that we could see and hear and receive what you have for us. Lord, I pray that you bless the reading of the word, that it would not be me, but the Spirit of God teaching your word, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, Sunday night, we talked about prayer constancy, okay? And that's a real word, okay? I didn't make it up. It's in Webster's Dictionary. Constancy, faithfulness. Yeah, that's a means to be constant, amen? We're to be constant in prayer. I want to give just a little review about the things that we have discussed about prayer over the last two weeks. Number one, what is prayer? Prayer is not just conversation with God, but as we will see tonight and answer more vividly, prayer is also worship. Okay? Prayer is matter-of-factly one of the main ways of worship okay you we think of worship because of modern music we think of music or singing but actual worship was me praying thou shall have no other gods before me why would i uh why would god worry about me singing to them and not pledging my allegiance or devotion in prayer and praying to false gods right so you got to understand when he's talking about worship, he's not just saying, hey, you can't sing to other gods. He's saying you can't pray to them. You can't sacrifice to them. You can't live your life for them, right? So we're going to get into that. What is prayer? Prayer is, prayer is communication with God, but prayer is much more than that. Uh, we should pray. We discussed the fact that we should be praying, amen? Not that we might pray or, you know, God might kind of want us to every once in a while. God has an expectation that we pray. Amen? The next thing that we realized was prayer is something that we needed to do correctly. Remember? He said you have not because you ask not. And then when you do ask, you ask amiss. So if there's a way to ask amiss, then that must mean there's a way to ask appropriately. Amen? That means there's a way to ask within God's will. And I think if you go back to the first chapter of James, where it says, if we pray anything in his name, in his will, amen, we know we'll receive it if we pray in his will, amen. And I know a lot of people that go, oh, we never, when people say, Lord, just, we, well, thy will be done, they're just praying uh, like a, a counterfeit prayer somehow that's somehow when they say Lord just have your way and do your will they're they're kind of taking a step back and not really praying in faith I would argue that I'm praying in more faith than you are because praying in the understanding of what God wants is probably the perfect place to be in and you can never go wrong praying 
God's will. Amen. The next thing we notice is that we should be constant or devoted to prayer. We looked at Acts chapter 2 when the 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost. Verse 42 records that these people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. First of all, it says the prayers. That means there's more than one. You didn't just say a prayer 30 years ago, you know what I mean? You pray all the time. There's a You're devoted. You're, the, this word devoted that's used there is, is more than just I do it every once in a while. When you're devoted, you're going to do it all the time. Amen. Let's say it in a way that most people understand. God wants a commitment from you to pray. Amen. Remember the whole sermon we preached about God's not, you know, God doesn't want to be friends with benefits with you. He wants a commitment. Amen. God's not interested in just being your booty call. He wants to be married to you. Amen. So we got, and I know, I know it sounds funny when I say it that way. And people are like, Pastor, did you really just put, yes, I did. Because people will understand that. You know what I mean? That's right. That's right. So tonight. My focus is going to be on who we're praying to. Amen? Who are we praying to? Because if you turn the TV on or, you know, if you got TV or you turn the satellite on or whatever you, whatever kind of uh, way you watch TV, you're on the Internet, or you're on Facebook, or you're on Twitter, or you're on uh, all these other social media things I don't know about, okay? If you're on any of them and you see all these preachers, most of the time they kind of talk to God like they're in charge. And we wonder why God doesn't listen. Just think about this. You are the king, the ruler of the entire universe. And this lump of dirt that you saved, that you sought, that you bought, that you purchased, looks at you and starts demanding that you do things. I can tell you as a father, my children get a lot better response out of me when they come in and say, hey, dad, can I? Or, hey, dad, may I? Or, hey, dad, will you? They get a lot less receptive, loving, caring response when they go, dad, I need you to fix this. Huh? Come on. Let's be real. Let's talk real tonight. I'm not here to play around. People on Facebook need this stuff. You know what I mean? They need real preachers that will talk about real stuff. Okay? The reality is, I think we've lost the idea of who we were talking to. Just like I prayed the other night at prayer meeting, Lord, let us have a fresh revelation of the, of the book of Revelation of how John saw Jesus. Okay? John did not see Jesus as his best snuggly friend that was going to come up and say, Oh, John. That Jesus was gone. And as a matter of fact, the Jesus that's coming back isn't going to be the snuggly, wuggly, 
Jesus that John rested his head on. Okay? That really did happen. John reclined on Jesus and laid his head on his chest. That really did happen. But that ain't the Jesus that's coming back. Exactly. Come on. But that's the Jesus we want to paint. We want to paint the demasculinized. We try to strip the masculinity away from Jesus. Jesus was a carpenter, first of all. Jesus wasn't no scrawny, little tiny, weak little guy. He wasn't a wimp. He was a carpenter. I want to know how many carpenters you know that are just big old wimps that walk around acting like big wimps, okay? I don't know any, first of all. And you understand that Jesus was not just a carpenter in the sense that he worked with wood. He worked with stone. Come on now, let's think about real stuff. Jesus might not have been Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he was not. He was not a big sissy either, okay? Nobody would have cared if some big sissy started turning tables over. They got worried because Jesus was getting serious when he started flipping tables over. So we got this idea of Jesus being this weak, little, mild-mannered wimp, you know? And I don't understand how people think that way about Jesus. They think that way about God, and they'll say, well, Pastor, I don't think that way. Why do you talk to him like that then? Why do you try to tell God what God is going to do? God, listen here. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've heard people say they've had these conversations, okay? Well, I just went into my prayer closet and I just said, Lord, this is how it's going to be. Yeah, I'd like to hear that too. Where are they at now? That's what I want to know. So let's look at a few things. I wanted to bring up some Bible verses here. Go with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus teaching the Lord's Prayer. We've read it over and over and over and over and over, right? We, we've probably exhausted Matthew 6 very, very much in this church. Amen? So we're going to start reading at verse 5. Jesus teaching on prayer. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, everybody hold your hand up. When you pray, go into your house, you can put your hands down, shut the door and pray to your father who sees in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Now, can I jump on a soapbox for just a second? Empty phrases. In other words, when I'm praying, it needs to be coherent. I'm going to leave it alone. It needs to be coherent. Why? Because when I'm praying in public, and I'm praying out loud, people need to be knowing what I'm praying, or it's not going to edify them. Amen? 
They need to know what's going on. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you have need of before you ask him. Now here's the crux of this all, okay? Now I want you to see this with me. Jesus is consistently calling him our Father, okay? And I think that's where people get trapped, okay? God is your Father. Jesus does tell us to call God Father, but we can't think of him like an earthly Father. You understand me? And even if we do, we better have a reverence for him like we would our Father. Jesus not only declares that he's your Father, but he says he's your Heavenly Father, and he's supposed to be hallowed or made holy or revered. You understand? Watch this. Let's read it. He says, verse 9, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to stop right there. Because here's a couple things that I wanted you to understand. God is our Father, but He's also in heaven and the ruler of the entire universe. And He is to be hallowed. That word hallowed means made holy or con uh, consecrated or greatly revered or honored. He also has a kingdom. Therefore, He's not just our Father, but our King. Understand? See, I can't just look at him just like my dad. Because while God is your father, he's also the king. Amen? I'm going to get into that in a minute, but I want to read you a quote from Charles Spurgeon on this very subject. In his sermon called The Throne of Grace, which is a verse we're going to get to in a minute. Listen to this. Our text speaks of a throne, the throne of grace. God is to be viewed in prayer as our Father. That is the aspect which is desirous to us. I'm going to stop right there. What Charles Spurgeon just said is where we all get stuck. We like thinking about God as our Father. And we like relating to him that way, and we would rather not think about the rest of this verse that talks about him being king. Amen? Why? Because we like the little bit of control we think we have. The reality is in a kingdom, you only have the authority or the freedom you're given. Amen? By the king. Amen? Let's finish this. He says, but still we see not a regard, uh, but still, where, where's he at? But still we are not to regard him as though he were such as we are. Notice what he says. For our Savior has qualified the expression, our Father, with the words, who art in heaven. You see that? He's just not just your dad. He's your dad in heaven. That means 
He's greater than an earthly father, and you need to revere him greater than an earthly father. Amen. Now watch this. He keeps going. At the close of the heels of the uh, condescending name in order to remind us that our father is infinitely greater than we, he has bidden us to say, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come so that our father is still regarded as king. Therefore, in prayer, we come not only to our father's feet, but we come also to the throne of the great monarch of the universe. The mercy seat is a throne and we must not forget this. I love that phrase, the great monarch of the universe. Okay, the reality is I think most Christians simply just look at God like their father. And since they talk to their dad whatever way they want, they'll talk to God whatever way they want. Let that sink in for a minute. The reality is we have to have a certain attitude in praying to God. It can't just be this you're going to do it my way. It can't just be, hey, I'm here. You're here to listen to me. You're here to do what I'm telling you. You're here to me. Boy, if we got that kind of attitude in prayer, if we think that we can just command God, well, let's just think about this rationally, like a king. Just think for a minute. If we had a king... In America, okay? Not saying we do. The only king in America is Jesus. We live in a, a, a republic, you know, democratic republic and all that stuff. I get it, okay? We're free. Got it all, okay? But if America had a king and you walked into the king's house and you started telling the king, king, you're going to do this and king, you're going to do that and king, I hope you know that I need you to do this. The realities that you could speak to a king whatever way you want, the audacity for dirt creatures, lumps of clay to think that they can speak to God Almighty and tell him to do anything is unfathomable to me. He is king, therefore, he's not just our father, he's also our king. Now, I want to get to the text that kind of I'm marrying with this on my own here. But go to Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to read another verse. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4. We'll start at verse thir uh, 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest that is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect or every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Let us therefore with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, first of all, these verses is very familiar, right? We all know this one. Let's come boldly before the throne of grace that we might receive grace and obtain mercy in our hour of need. Praise the Lord. Oh, yeah. That, look, I, I'm glad that people can get excited that because of Jesus, the great high priest, we have access to the king. But just because you have access to the king and just because you can confidently, willingly know that because of Jesus, I can go before God does not mean you lose all respect for the God you're going before. It doesn't mean that you lose respect and think that you can talk to him whatever way you want. It doesn't. There's a protocol when you go into the throne room of the king. You don't just go in and act like you run the place. You don't just go in there and demand your own way. You don't just go in there and have your own say. The reality is that he made a way for us to come to the throne of grace. We don't get to dictate what we get from the throne of grace. We don't get to dictate what gets accomplished when we come to the throne of grace. You understand, we think we get to go to the king, tell the king, I need this, this, and this, and you're giving it to me. And that's not reality. Reality is there's a way you approach. How do they approach? Almost every movie, almost every uh, kingdom that's ever been on the face of this earth, when you come into the presence of the king, what's the first thing you do? You bow. Why? Because you're giving king honor. You don't come in there puffed up. You don't come in there full of yourself and how great you are and tell the Lord king. Most of the time you're coming to the king because you need something anyway, okay? Think about this. Jesus Christ, the king of the whole universe, God Almighty created you from the dust of the earth. You are absolutely nothing without him. How should I come before him? Jesus said, they that humble themselves will be exalted, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Because the understanding is when I go to God, I better be humble in my confidence. Amen? Here's the reality. What happened is Jesus gave me a key to go into the throne room. He said, look, my father's expecting you. He wants you to come in. But that doesn't mean I get to do what I want. That doesn't mean I have to just forget all protocol. That doesn't mean I forget all of the 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 trap uh, the 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 uh, the majesty of how I'm supposed to come in and present myself to the king. Esther knew that she could not go into the throne room looking like she looked. Esther knew that she had to get dressed up in the best clothes. 
She had to get her hair done and perfume and oil on her. She had to powder herself up so that she could go in to the king. You understand me? She knew. She knew if I went in there just like this and I tried to tell the king what I was about to tell the king to go save these people and all this and that, the king would have looked at me and said, who's this beggar lady coming in here thinking she's getting any of this from me? Right? Esther knew that she had to dress appropriately. She had to talk right. She had to walk right. She had to do the right thing in front of the king. So I want you to understand, God is your father, but God is also your king. So when you go to God, you have to have an air of respect, an attitude of humility. Amen? That doesn't wipe out the confidence that I have coming before the throne of grace. I know I can come there. I know God wants me there. But that doesn't mean I get to do what I want when I get there because he's still the king. Amen? And we think that we get to control the conversation. Right? First of all, do you understand when you went before a king, you couldn't just come in and talk to the king about whatever you wanted to, okay? First of all, they're going to ask you a couple questions before you go into the king. They're going to say, okay, first of all, what do you want? What are you coming to address the king about? And then when you get there, you better hope that that's what you're talking about. Because the king is busy, and he's got other stuff to do, and he's got other subjects that need his attention. He wants you to know that if you're coming to me, you need to come correct. You got to come right. Right attitude, right frame of mind, asking the right questions. How else? What? There's a wrong question I can ask God? Yep. He said, you have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask amiss. That must mean there's some things or some ways that I ask because I want to squander it on my own flesh, my own lust. Then God's going to look at me and go, why are you bringing this stuff to me? Amen? Can we just be real? He's a king. We have a king, first of all, a high priest who knows our weaknesses amen with this confidence we can draw near to the throne of grace what confidence what's our confidence drawing near to him our com excuse me our confidence is in jesus and his sacrifice and his power to atone for our sin making it possible for us to come into the presence of a holy god do you realize the only reason that you can come before a holy God is because Jesus paid the price for your sin? That in itself should humble you to the understanding that it ain't about what I want. Amen. It's not about me and mine and this. It's about Jesus made a way. First of all, i got to remember that. Amen. So Jesus is teaching this, his disciples to pray. He said, you pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What happens in the king's presence? What happens in the king's kingdom? Whatever he wants. Whatever the king wants to happen in his kingdom, that's what's going to happen. So it ain't my will in prayer. It's not my, don't let him out. 
Just turn him around. There you go. It's not my will. It's not my kingdom I'm trying to establish in prayer even. I'm trying to submit myself to God's will and God's kingdom. Amen. Amen. I want to sum this part up with another quote from Spurgeon. I know you guys are like, man, we pastor got on Spurgeon. He ain't never going to get off of it now. The need for full confidence. Listen to this. And beloved, I may add in this fifth place that the right spirit in which to approach the throne of grace is that of unstaggering confidence. Who shall doubt the king? You want to know why a lot of people are doubting? Oh, did God really tell me that? Did God really want me to do that? You want to know why they're doubting that? Because God didn't tell them. Because it was their own heart. It's their own inclination to do those things. It's their own inclination to say those things. And when it happens and they go, oh, it didn't happen the way, but maybe it wasn't God. I know it's hard for us to gather because we no, I know God. I know his voice. Except when you don't. Except when it don't happen the way you want to because it's not about your will. It's about God's will. It's about his kingdom. Not, not Kevin's, not Roberta's, not Carmen's. Amen. Come on. I'm just saying, we got to have confidence in the king. Not what we're praying. Okay? We put, we put more stock in what we say in prayer than what God says in his word. And that's a shame. Because my words are not eternal. My words don't create anything. God is altogether unique. And when he speaks, things happen. And if God doesn't speak, it won't happen. Come on. Amen. Now watch this. Who shall doubt the king? Who declares or who dares impugn the imperial word? It was well said that if integrity were banished from the hearts of all mankind besides, it ought to still dwell in the hearts of kings. Shame on the king if he can lie. The lowest beggar in the streets is dishonored by a broken promise, but what shall we say of a king if his word cannot be depended upon? Oh, shame upon us if we are unbelieving before the throne of the king of heaven and earth. You know, that reminds me of a verse. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Come on, come on. With our God before us is in all his, excuse me. With our God before us in all his glory, sitting on the throne of grace, will our hearts dare to say we mistrust him? Spurgeon's asking some really good questions, ain't he? How are we going to stand before God and say, Lord, I just don't trust what you're going to say. Come on. The person you should mistrust is your own self. The person you should mistrust is your own heart, your own thoughts. Why? Because my heart is desperately wicked uh, above all things. Amen. The Bible says it's desperately wicked. Who can know it, right? The heart of a man is inclined to sin. Stop 
thinking it's about what you pray. Amen. It should be about what God says. Amen. Such a blasphemous thought should be banished. And if they must come, let them come when we are not somewhere in the outskirts of his dominion, if such a place there be. But not in prayer when we are in his immediate presence and behold him in all of his glory and on his throne of grace. There surely is the place for the child to trust its father, for the loyal subject to trust his monarch. Therefore, far from it should be all wavering or suspicions, staggering faith should be predominant uh, unstaggering faith should be predominant before the mercy seat. That's some awesome stuff. We need to get that kind of understanding that when we pray, if we're praying God's will, then we're not going to be wavering. Amen. We're not going to be staggering in our faith. Why? Because faith comes from God's word. Amen. And I build myself up in faith by praying. Amen. That's what the Bible says. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God, right? And then how do I build up my faith? Well, it ain't by reading more. I have to exercise this faith. Well, how do I do that? Beloved, build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Come on. This is not rocket science, okay? This is the Bible, and it's plain as the nose on everybody's face. We need to get it. Amen? I'm almost done. Somebody say Amen. Lastly, prayer is not just communicating with God then. It is an act of faith. And if an act of faith, it is an act of worship. Do you understand? Faith is worship. Uh, praying is an act of faith, an act of obedience, an act of following God. Let's read. Uh, <laughs> I want to go to, I want to just recount the story in Daniel, okay? Go to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Now, what was Nebuchadnezzar doing in chapter 3 and chapter 6? Well, you know, he had that golden statue of himself, right? Chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, Nebuchadnezzar, we know that you're king and we know that you put out this order, but we cannot bow before that statue, nor can we worship it, because we worship the Lord our God. Amen? And here in Daniel, Daniel's doing the same thing. Nebuchadnezzar did not just say, hey, uh, you, you can't worship, you can't worship any other gods. He didn't want you to pray to any other god. He didn't want you to pray to uh, petition any other god. These are the words in this chapter, chapter 6. Watch this. And Daniel, let, let's go to verse, uh, let's go to verse 6, okay? These high officials, okay? Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps 
and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whosoever makes petitions to any god or man for 30 days except unto you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. And O king established the injunction and signed the document so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Come on, are you seeing this? He says you can't even worship. You can't pray. Petition. That word petition is pray. You cannot pray to another God or man. Do you see how prayer is worship? Are you seeing this? Now watch this. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went into his house where he had windows in the supper chamber opened towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came and found Daniel and their, uh, excuse me, then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction? That anyone who makes petition to any god or man within the 30 days uh, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the lion's den. And king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. Or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. I'll stop right there. I want you to notice that Daniel's praying is part of his worship to God. And his worship to God is devout. He will not pray. He will not bow. Do you understand that when you went and seen this golden image, you had to bow? And it was reverent. Like you're praying to it. Daniel is making this association for you so you can see that prayer is worship. Okay? I want you to notice some other things. I want you to notice some other things. He wants the reasons, Spurgeon. Right. Exodus chapter 20. Go to Exodus chapter 20 real quick. We're almost done, buddy. We're almost done. Exodus chapter 20. You all want to know what this is. Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. You shall have no other gods before me. Notice what he says. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them, nor worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Are you seeing this? Are you seeing it? 
Why would you bow down to another God? What, what was the Look, just think about this. We're going to go to it in a minute. First Kings, Second Kings, they had those Asherah poles and those temples of Baal. What were they going to do there? What did they go to do at the temple of Baal? What did they go to do at the Asherah poles? They didn't just go there and sing songs, did they? They went there and prayed to those gods. Do you understand that prayer is the thing we're talking about here? My communication with God is worship. It's part of me following that God. Why would God get mad that there's just some pole out in the middle of nowhere? He wouldn't until somebody went and prayed to it. Wouldn't mean a thing. Those great trees that they used to worship, that tree didn't do anything wrong. The problem was when they went and prayed to the tree. You see what I'm saying? When you're praying, you are not just having communication with God. You are showing God your devotion to follow him. You're showing God, I'm putting you first. You're the one my prayers go to. You're the one my petition goes to. Not to Nebuchadnezzar, not to the god Baal, not to Asherah, not to all these other false gods that were around Israel. Prayer was the number one way of worship. What did they go do in the temple? Sacrificed and prayed. My house shall be called a what? A house of prayer. Are you getting it? Are you getting this? Prayer is not just communication with God. It is me showing my devotion in following and worshiping God. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's the same thing. We're, we're about to repeat ourselves, but I want you to see how they repeated themselves. And this goes on and on and on throughout the Old Testament, reminding the Israelites of this. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved images or any likenesses of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth below or is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. This is the same verse, same thing, ain't it? Why are they repeating it? Because it's important for us to remember because it only takes a moment for me to say, no, that thing's more important than my worship. That thing's more important than my prayer life. You realize when you're putting anything before you talking to God, are you seeing how my prayer, if I look at prayer like worship, if I look at it like it's my devotion, this is how I show God that I am putting him first. This is how I show God that I'm not serving these other gods. I'm not praying to them. I'm not seeking after them. I'm seeking you. See this? I'm honoring that very first commandment. Jesus said this. If you love me or if you love anybody else, your father, sister, brother, mother, more than me, you're not worthy of why? Because this still matters. The first commandment is still applied. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your strength. What does that mean in a nutshell? You shall have no other gods before me. You will not bow down and worship them. You will not serve them. How do I serve them? Prayer. Prayer is worship. 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18. We're going to close right here in 1 Kings 18. Yeah, you tell them, buddy. Yes. Praise the Lord. He's like, I'm, I guess I should be hollering too. 1 Kings 18. We're going to start at verse 1. Y'all remember that? I'm not even going to read it, okay? There's way too much to read in this story, okay? This part is Elijah on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, right? Guess who else was there? Wasn't just the prophets of Baal, was it, Tammy? You know who was there? The prophets of Asherah. Why? Why would they? Why did they come up to the mountain? What was the purpose of them coming to the mountain? Anybody remember? They were going to call out to their God, and Elijah's called out to his God. What were they doing on Mount Carmel? They were praying to their God, who did not answer them. This is what we're showing you. The prayer. What does it say? I want to I show you what it says. Let's see. Now watch this. Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he prepared the altar for the Lord that had been thrown down and Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob whom the word of the Lord came to saying Israel shall be your name and with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench about the altar and, a, and as great as would contain two sides of seed and he uh, put the wood on in order and cast the bull on the pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars full of water and pour them on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And then he said it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And water ran around and filled the altar and filled the trench also with water at the time of the offering of the obligation Elijah the prophet came near and said O Lord God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob I don't know if you realize this but he's now praying do you notice who he talked to do you see how he started O Lord God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then fire fell from heaven. Amen? What were they going to the top of Mount Carmel to do? pray 
They were praying to their gods. And Elijah prayed to the God. Do you understand? Prayer is not just communication with God. It is how we know we follow God. If you are a quote unquote, I'm using quotation, if you're a Christian and you don't pray, I'm questioning you. Because people who know God, people who follow God, pray. This is obvious all throughout scripture. What does it mean, Tammy, when it said they went off and served other gods and followed them? It means they stopped praying at the temple and they went to them high places. They went to them Asherah poles. They went to the temple of Baal. What were they doing there? They weren't just going there for potluck dinner. They were going there to pray to those gods. They were worshiping those gods. Yet Christians think prayer isn't that big a deal. Why should I pray? Because it shows who you're following. Amen. Do you follow Christ? Do you follow God? Then pray. Amen. Show God your devotion. That's why in the book of Acts, chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Why? Because that's when they knew they were followers. Amen? I named this message Appealing to the King. I did that on purpose because, first of all, we got to stop thinking of God as just our Father. He is our Father, but He's also the King. And we need to understand when we come to the King, we have to talk to him like we're talking to royalty. Amen? Come on. Not just any royalty, but as Spurgeon said, the monarch of the universe. Okay? Like the king of kings. The king above all kings. Amen? None of us would go to Queen Elizabeth and just talk whatever way we want to. Why do we think we can go to the king of the universe? <laughs> Wouldn't even get in there. Amen? Unapproachable. Yet we got the audacity to think that we can, since we got free access to God, that we can just go in there and talk to God however we want to. And I know this might be a newsflash for some people that are watching on Facebook, but the reality is God's king, and you need to talk to him Amen. like he's a king. You need to have some reverence, some humility. That doesn't take, effect, take away from the fact that I can come boldly before the throne of grace. But when I'm coming boldly, I better be also coming humbly and reverently and, and, and sincerely. Amen? Seeking God's will and God's kingdom. Amen? I think this is important because I hope people get this. And then when they come to prayer meeting, they go, oh, yeah. Pastor said, when we pray, we need to talk to God like we're talking to the king. I don't get to just walk around here and order God around. Amen? Let's talk. But also, in that same breath, because he is a king and we can come before him, we can have confidence that if God says something, it will happen. You understand? 
So I don't come in with my own agenda. I come in for God's will. And when I get God's will, I'm getting the very best thing that I could get. Because my will is subject to my emotions. My will is subject to change. God's will does not change. It's not subject to my emotions. It's not subject to my circumstances. Do you understand that I can come to God and believe unequivocally that he hears me, answers me, and is going to do what he wants to do with me? Amen? So I don't want to discourage anybody about Oh, the pastor said we can't just come in and ask for what we want. No, we need to ask for what we want. We need to bring our petitions to God. We just got to do it with the right attitude, the right frame of mind. Understand who we're talking to. Understand who we are. We're the subjects. Amen. We're the subjects of the kingdom. And it ain't a democracy with God. It's a monarchy. It's a theocracy. God's in control, not me. Amen? So let's stand and pray. I know I probably preached way too long for, you know, eight people that's in the room or whatever. But I think it's important, and I wanted the people on Facebook to get it, and I didn't want to cut it off so that they could get the rest of it. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are our Father, first of all. And we do bring you reverence, God. We do glorify you. Glorify your name, Lord. You are holy and above all, in all and through all, God. You are the king of kings. You are the monarch of the universe. And we just want to come tonight, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word that shows us, God, that when we pray, that we can come confidently because Jesus has made a way for us to come boldly before your throne of grace, Lord. But Lord, thank you for teaching us that as we come, we don't just revere you as our father, but as our king and as our God. And that we understand prayer is not just me coming to give you my wish list like a genie, but that I'm coming, Lord, to get my orders from the king of the universe. That I'm coming to let your kingdom come and your will be done in me and in my life and in this earth, Lord. So as we pray, God, teach us to be humble and confident at the same time. Teach us, Lord, how to rest in full assurance that you hear us and know what we have need of and that you have answers for all of the petitions that we bring to you. But also help us to understand, God, that as we come, we're not seeking our own will. We're not seeking our own kingdom, but we're seeking you. Lord, and finally, I pray that you would help us to understand that seeking you, praying, is a way that we worship. It is showing our devotion to our God, meaning that we will not pray or seek any other thing more than you, Lord. We won't pray to any other gods but you. We won't worship any other God. But you and prayer is part of that worship process that we come to you and we show our devotion. We show our loyalty by coming boldly before your throne, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would give every heart, every mind that is watching this on Facebook, listening to the podcast. Let them have the grace and the mercy and the understanding 
to receive this message, Lord. Let them walk in that confidence, but let them walk humbly before their God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.